the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So the reason I bring this up is because when we talk about hypocrisy toward others, some people are quick to jump to the conclusion that that means I should never hold you accountable and you should never hold me accountable because we don't have the right to speak into each other's lives. Otherwise, it would be hypocrisy towards each other. That's not true. Jesus does not say we should not judge. He says there's a right way to do it. And it involves two things. Number one, order. And number two, purpose. Today, Pastor Gary is going to remind you that it's okay to call out other believers that are sinning, but only if you do so in the right order and with the right purpose. First, you have to examine your own heart. Are you sinning in the same way? You should deal with that before you tell someone else to stop doing the same thing. Second, why are you doing it? Is it to feel good about yourself or you genuinely want to help that person get right with God? Ask these questions before you judge someone else. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 29, as he continues his message, All Walk, But No Talk. If you go to BurgerFi in town, by the way, at BurgerFi, I don't know about the women's restroom, but in the men's restroom, There's actually this little pedestal at the foot of the door. I love it. You can actually take the pedestal and open up the door with your foot. (laughs) Now, absent the pedestal and absent paper towels or absent your sleeve, if you have short sleeves, sure. The most glorious thing is when you finish washing your hands and drying and then someone happens to come in at that same moment. Be quick with your foot. Hold the door. (laughs) Open it and off you go. All right, listen. It's technique, people. Listen to me. So there's nothing wrong with washing your hands. I hope you actually practice good hygiene. This conversation here in Mark 7 is much more than just good hygiene. If it were only about hygiene, Jesus would have called them germaphobes. But he called them hypocrites, okay? Because here's the deal. The Pharisees weren't just interested in washing your hands good before you eat. They were interested in adding to the commandments of God ritualistic cleansing ceremonies. And so they began to discuss among themselves, the ancient rabbis and the teachers of the law, what does cleanliness mean? And so then they started talking about, well, we need to go to great lengths to wash our hands before we eat and other ceremonial purposes. 
By the way, I almost showed you a YouTube clip, but then I thought, no, I don't want people to think I'm making fun of the Jewish people. But you can, for your own edification, you can Google today the Jewish practices on the ceremonial washing of the hands. It's very elaborate. It is, it is very detailed. It, it is very particular. They, they use a cup. They have to pour it twice on one hand, held this a certain way, held your hand like this, twice here, twice there, wrists down, make sure the water drips downward. If you have a shortage of water, at least go knuckles down. I mean, I'm not making this up. It's very meticulous, very elaborate, very detailed. Okay? And the Pharisees here were all about the ceremonial cleansing of the hands and making sure you did it just right. Is it two times this way, two times this way? Some Jews today say, no, it's three times this way, three times. I mean, they can't even make up their minds. But this is the emphasis that the Jews were placing on the ceremonial washing of the hands. The reason why Jesus indicts them with Isaiah 29, 13 is because, and calls them hypocrites is because they're more interested in external cleanliness than the cleanliness of the heart. They're more interested in duty than devotion. They were more about rituals with God than they were relationship with God. And for this reason, Jesus then quotes Isaiah 29, 13 and calls them hypocrites. So when we read in the context of Isaiah's writings in chapter 29, when he speaks there about people draw near to me with their lips, they give me lip service, but their hearts are far from me. Really, it's, it's about hypocrisy. And Jesus uses that verse to expose the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of his own day. For those of you who like to take notes, the word hypocrite comes from the Greek word hypocrites. Hypocrites literally translates a play actor, someone who was involved in a drama and who would change masks depending on what skit they were performing and what character they were performing, one who hides behind a mask. Hypocrites is derived from two Greek words, hupo meaning under and krino meaning to judge. So basically, a hypocrite is one who underjudges himself or herself and typically overjudges others. Hypocrisy always involves some form of inconsistency. Inconsistency in what you say or inconsistency in what you do or inconsistency in how you treat others, or in how you relate to God. Now, here's an important and very sad statistic. According to the Barna Research Group, they surveyed a cross-section of millennials in our country. Now, millennials basically are the age category of 20s and early 30s. The millennials are, are some of the most unchurched generation today. They don't like going to church. They don't prefer to go to church. In fact, even among millennials who were raised in the church, by the time they have gotten to their 20s and early 30s, almost six out of 10 millennials have dropped out of church. And the number one reason they gave when they were surveyed by the Barna Research Group, why don't you like coming to church? Number one reason they gave, 66% of millennials said, because American churchgoers are hypocritical. Now, the truth is, that a lot of people can make a lot of excuses for why they don't want a relationship with God and why they don't want to go to church. And the truth also is that every single one of us will have to give an account of ourselves before God, and you will not be able to blame anyone else. You will not be able to say, well, I, I didn't want a relationship with Jesus because, you know, I saw a bunch of hypocrites who, who, who you know, said that they were Christ followers and they weren't. And so then you, you're not going to be able to blame anybody else. So get rid of the hypocrisy argument. And plus, let me just say this. It is hypocritical to say that people are hypocrites. 
Because unless you've never been inconsistent or duplicitous in your attitudes, thoughts, or actions, then you're among us too. There's a little bit of hypocrisy in every single one of us. Every single one of us is guilty at some point in our lives of saying something inconsistent, doing something inconsistent, relating to other people, overjudging, underjudging ourselves, overjudging others, and relating in a wrong way to God in some way. So all of us are guilty in some way of hypocrisy. Now that said, shouldn't we still be concerned? rather than just dismiss this. Well, okay, everybody's a little bit of a hypocrite, so, you know, can't we just get on with a different Bible study? I mean, the fact of the matter is that this should concern all of us. Shouldn't we be concerned about any inconsistency in our lives that might be a bad witness to this generation or any generation? And shouldn't we even be more concerned about the inconsistency in our lives as an affront to God? Hypocrisy is a sin, And when we practice hypocrisy, when we engage in hypocrisy, that we not only cause God to be dishonored, but we cause unbelievers to be disillusioned. Because they look at the duplicity of our lives and the hypocrisy of our lives, and an unbeliever stumbles. And this should concern us. Again, everybody has to give a personal account to God. I get that. But we should at least be mindful. What is our witness? Are we consistent or inconsistent? Are we sincere or are we hypocritical in terms of the way we think and live out our lives? Peter would say in 1 Peter 2, 1, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. We need to rid ourselves of hypocrisy. If there's any inconsistency or contradiction in our lives, we need to look at it, examine it, confess it as sin, and get rid of it. It dishonors God, and it causes unbelievers to be disillusioned. Now, for you note-takers, there are typically three types of hypocrisy. Three types of hypocrisy. The hypocrisy toward self, the hypocrisy toward others, and the hypocrisy toward God. So our remaining time, we're going to look at each one of these and examine our own hearts. The first is hypocrisy toward self. Now, this is when you say one thing and do another, when there is inconsistency or contradiction between speech and action. You're not, you're not really being hypocritical towards others. I mean, in a sense, all hypocrisy is also toward God. But for the purpose of our discussion, this is just as it relates to you damage yourself, you damage your own reputation, you damage your own integrity because there's an inconsistent contradiction in your life, okay? And so we need to examine and understand all of this. Now, the Apostle Peter was guilty of this. Now, the Apostle Peter was a man that God used in a wonderful way to bring the first evangelical sermon to 3,000 people in Acts chapter 2, and they got saved. But by the time you get to Acts chapter 10, God is going to use Peter to preach the good news to Gentiles. For the first almost 10 years of the early church, and the book of Acts, the first 10 chapters covers about 10 years, the early church of believers in Jesus Christ was exclusively Jewish. It's not until you get to chapter 10 of Acts that you see the first Gentile who comes to faith in Jesus, a guy by the name of Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion. He is a Gentile. And his whole family is going to get saved. But God's going to have to work in Peter's heart first to get Peter to the place where he even wants to visit Cornelius' house. Because Peter, as a strict Jew, was always taught, you don't socialize with Gentiles, let alone go into their home. 
And so in order for God to get the message of the gospel to Gentiles, he had to first work on the Jewish heart that was prejudiced towards Gentiles. Most Jews believed in Jesus' day that Gentiles were created for one purpose, as the fodder for the fires of hell. And so here Peter is as a strict Jew, and he prides himself on on Judaism and and his adherence to the law, but but he understands Christ as Savior, and and so he wants the gospel to go forth, but God's going to have to work on his Jewish mindset in order for him to present the gospel to Gentiles. So in Acts chapter 10, Peter has this vision. God shows him this vision. And in this vision, there's this sheet that gets dropped down out of heaven, and inside the sheet are these these animals that are not kosher, that would be against the Jewish law to eat. And in the dream, in this vision, God says to Peter, get up and eat. And Peter's like, you might be Yahweh, but no way. You know, that's the kind of reaction he has. I'm not going to eat these, these non-kosher animals because in, in Acts 10, 14, he says, surely not I, Lord. For I I will never eat anything unclean. And then God responds in the vision, Acts 10, 15, and God says, do not call anything unclean or impure that I have made clean. Now, what God was doing was helping Peter understand more than just the dietary aspect of the law. God was helping Peter to understand those unclean, stinking Gentiles that you have viewed as unclean are actually the ones I died for too. And so you need to present the good news of Jesus to them as well. So Peter gets up from this this vision, this dream-like vision, and on his way he goes to the house of Cornelius. And Cornelius wonderfully responds to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ. And his whole household, Cornelius' whole household, gets saved. They get water baptized. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just this wonderful event. And Peter then... In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, says this, I now realize that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from all nations who fear God and do what is right. And so Peter realized, hey, my own heart had a little prejudice towards some Gentiles, but I now realize that the message of the cross is for all people and that God does not show favoritism. Christ died for all, that all might be saved in response to the free gift. And so, and so this light bulb goes off in Peter's mind. He goes, I now realize that God has called everybody to salvation, loves everybody, whosoever will shall be saved. And that God accepts all men from all nations who fear him and do what is right. Ten years later, Peter is socializing with some Gentiles because now he's, he's had this epiphany in Acts chapter 10. And, he, and he's enjoying hanging out with Gentiles. He's eating pulled pork barbecue. (laughs) He's wrapping scallops with bacon. I mean, he's just, he's literally living high on the hog. You know what I'm saying to you? And he's like, this is wonderful. Liberty, 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 Gentiles, bros, sister, you know, and he's all, he's all hamming it up with them. Dare I say more puns? But what happens is Galatians chapter 2 Paul says, I opposed Peter to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Here's what happened. As Peter is socializing and eating with Gentiles, in walk some Jews. And all of a sudden, Peter gets up from the table and pretends like he doesn't even know these Gentiles. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says that by Peter's hypocrisy, by his hypocrisy, 
Galatians 2.13, he led Jews astray and even Barnabas by his hypocrisy. That's why Paul says, I opposed him to his face, because he was a hypocrite. He was like, one minute, like, oh God, I now see you don't show favoritism, you accept all men from all nations who fear you and do what is right. This is wonderful. But then in an awkward moment, he's like, I don't even know these people. That's hypocrisy. Aren't you glad that God forgives hypocrites? The second thing we need to be aware of is hypocrisy toward others. This is when you hold others to a higher standard than yourself. It's underjudging yourself and overjudging others. It's when you call someone out for eating too much, but you drink too much. It's when you call someone out for cheating on their spouse, but you cheat on your taxes. It's hypocrisy toward others, holding others to a higher standard than you hold yourself to. We've got to be very aware of not being quick to look at the sins of others. We should be more concerned about our own sins. Let me illustrate a true story. D.L. Moody and Charles Haddon Spurgeon, great preachers of the 19th century. They hadn't met each other, though. Spurgeon lived in England. D.L. Moody lived in America. So D.L. Moody took it upon himself to go visit Spurgeon in England. And when he got to Spurgeon's house, knocked on the door, Spurgeon answered the door smoking a stogie. Now, just for background, D.L. Moody was a kind of a round, portly man. And so D.L. Moody looked at Spurgeon, who answered the door smoking a cigar. And D.L. Moody said to Spurgeon, how could you, a man of God, do that? And Spurgeon patted D.L. Moody's stomach and said, the same way that you as a man of God could do that. We can't be quick to point out the faults of others. We should be examining our own lives. Now, here's a verse a lot of people love to quote, even if they're not Christians. People love this verse, and they don't even know where it is in the Bible. It was Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not, lest you be judged. Don't judge me, bro. Don't judge me, sis. You know, because you don't, you, you judge me, one finger pointing at me is four back at you. You know that whole thing, right? Okay, now I, I get that. We're not supposed to judge or else we could be judged. But let me read you the whole context of what Jesus was saying. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Jesus did say... Don't judge, or you too will be judged. But now listen, if, if he meant never address anything in anyone else's life, then how are we to hold each other accountable? Listen to the rest of the passage. This is Matthew 7, verse 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, Jesus says. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So the reason I bring this up is because when we talk about hypocrisy toward others, some people are quick to jump to the conclusion that that means I should never hold you accountable and you should never hold me accountable because we don't have the right to speak into each other's lives. Otherwise, it would be hypocrisy towards each other. That's not true. Jesus does not say we should not judge. He says there's a right way to do it. And it involves two things. Number one, order. And number two, purpose. You see, if Jesus here meant that you should never speak into the life of another person out of sincere care and concern for where they might be going off the rails, and they also having the same freedom to do the same for you, then how are we to ever hold each other accountable? So Jesus here speaks about the wrong way to judge and a right way to judge. 
In fact, he actually goes on to say, you got to be careful so that you can remove the speck from your brother's eye. So in other words, he's not saying disengage and pretend like you're never to speak into somebody else's life. He just says there's a right order. You have to move, remove the plank from your own eye before you can, with proper de- dexterity and compassion, remove the speck from your brother's eye. So we have to still be engaged with each other. We still have to hold each other accountable. We have to still be in the body of Christ, people who will speak into each other's lives. Jesus does not say it's, you can't judge it all or that we shouldn't. In fact, he says we need to help a friend when there's something wrong in their lives. But hypocrisy happens when we are aware of their sin, but blind to our own. That's hypocrisy. So Jesus says, the order is, I want you to deal with your own heart first, your own sin first. Well, when will I ever be dealing with myself such that then I can speak into someone else's life? It, it, listen, we're never going to reach a state of perfection until we're with Jesus. But in the meantime, we have to do what we can to examine our own hearts first. And then with loving tenderness and humility, we can speak into the life of another individual. But we had better know the order. We got to work on ourselves first. And the purpose would be to help a brother or a sister in some kind of sin issue or sin struggle. Avoid the hypocrisy toward others, though, by being more concerned about your own sin than the sin of others. The last hypocrisy here is hypocrisy toward God, and this is probably the most serious of them all. And this is what Jesus accused the religious leaders of. They were going through the the motions without the emotion. It was all about duty and not devotion. The head was engaged, but not the heart. That's why Isaiah said in our opening verse, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, that became the hypocrisy. They're like showing up to church or praising the Lord, and then during the rest of the week, they're, they're living like the devil. And that's the hypocrisy of it. God is not interested in your lip service. God wants your heart. And God knows that if He really gets our heart, then our actions follow. God wants our hearts. More than He wants your worship. More than He wants your offerings. More than He wants what you could do to serve Him in the kingdom. God wants your heart. And God wants all of your heart. God wants us to live lives that are not in contradiction or inconsistent. But God wants us to live lives where we judge ourselves first, where we are the same in public as we are in private. God wants a consistent life and an undivided heart. In 1 John 2, verse 6, John said, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Hypocrisy is sin. It causes God to be dishonored. And it causes unbelievers to be disillusioned. And so as far as it depends on us, may we examine our hearts and our lives. May we be honest about ourselves. May we realize and admit to God where there's been inconsistency in our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, in our lives before God. And may we repent of the sin of hypocrisy. It is offensive to God. And it is a bad witness to the world. And may our prayer be as David prayed in Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart 
not a hypocritical or duplicitous heart, an undivided heart that I may fear your name. This is the verse I just quoted. I thought it would be good for us to say it aloud and together as our prayer. Psalm 86, 11. Let's say it aloud and together. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message again in Isaiah, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. You'll find a link at our website along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd be honored to do that for you. So please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners. Just send us a quick email and we'll get back to you soon. That email address is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker where we left off in Isaiah and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.